0: Bankman-Fried's entire house of cards started to crumble as crypto asset prices plummeted in May.
1: This morning, we unsealed an eight-count indictment charging Samuel Bankman-Fried. I'm Jacob Silverman, host of the new podcast, The Naked Emperor. I'm going to explain how Sam Bankman-Fried built and destroyed a multi-billion dollar crypto empire. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast.
2: Previously on Escaping Nexium.
3: It wouldn't be like, you know, hey, Keith wants to have sex with you. It's come to Albany.
2: Were you afraid of him?
3: At that time, yeah. I trusted the people around me that he was who he said he was, and I went to bat for him. Mark Vicente got me in and got me out. Keith created this faux woman's empowerment program within the structure of Nexium. To maintain loyalty and to feed his sex addiction. That's when I was like, oh my God, what am I in? Certain things started to click.
2: Things started to click.
3: In an instant, everything made sense.
2: And things started to spiral. Sarah Edmondson knows what can happen when you leave Nexium.
3: Because I'd heard other, you know, there'd been other rumors in the past about like, you know, with half of Barbara Boucher or like Tony Natali's dog, and it's like, oh my god. I was a mess, Josh. I mean, I couldn't sleep. I ended up getting having a friend of mine who's a handyman come over and put dead bolts, like like those locks you get up for hotels, not dead bolts, but those like extra extra locks that go right. over the, um, on my outside door and on my bedroom door. I couldn't sleep. I was so anxious. I mean, I I pictured him. Like sending people to like assassinate me.
2: I'm Josh Block, and this is Escaping Nexium from CBC Podcasts Uncover. Chapter 4 The Suppressives. Check, check, check. When I started looking into Sarah's story, I was surprised to discover that Sarah was not the first person to try and get out of Nexium. Sarah knew what happened to others who stood up to Keith.
4: Good morning. Um, Give me your coats, and if you wouldn't mind taking your
2: shoes sir. Their stories served as a cautionary tale. This is your war room.
4: This is my war room, yes.
2: We've driven out to Rochester, New York, to visit with Tony Natale, Tony was Keith's girlfriend for eight years. She was the woman who met Keith when he was running Consumers Byline.
4: Keith doesn't draw bad people to him. He draws really good people. You've interviewed these people. They're amazing. They're amazing. Nobody comes to ESP or Nexium saying, oh, pff, let me learn how to fuck people's lives up. That's not what they do. They come because he presents so well this beautiful way of helping people make things better for other people i think we're innately good in nature and we want to do the right thing people do things in a natural sense for betterment it takes a while for them to realize that they've just been conned so harshly
2: i'm struck right away by how much tony looks like sarah She's got high cheekbones, slight build, and almond-shaped eyes. I feel like I'm in a Charles Dickens novel, visiting some future version of Sarah, one that's been chased by Keith for years. Can you just describe what this whole setup is? It is a whiteboard. Here in her storage room, between the washing machine and the free weights, is a long desk with file folders, banker's boxes, and a whiteboard the length of a car.
4: I started off with moving paper, writing things down, and then I moved on to a whiteboard, and then I moved on to printing them, putting them in folders. So it's questions that I needed to get answered and things that I felt were lies.
2: Every inch is covered in names, dates, questions, and notes. It's one of her battle plans in her protracted breakup with Keith Ranieri.
4: I'm still in litigation right now, so I'm a little tired.
2: This breakup started in 1999, and it turned into a war with Nexium. Today, Tony Natale lives alone with a large mutt named Ramona. Almost 20 years on, she still doesn't feel safe. I live where I can see around me. Tony's little greenhouse backs onto a ravine. She told me she chose it for its almost 360-degree view. There's been a series of incidents over the years since she left Keith. Her house has been broken into. Her dog was poisoned and died. A private investigator was monitoring her home and business. She believes Keith was behind these things, though that's never been proven.
4: There's a creek on the other side, so they have to cross through the creek. The only dangerous aspect is straight back are woods that go into a canal. It's okay. Say hi. Say hi to everybody. Okay, it's good Okay. So somebody comes through the canal and back up to the woods. Oh yeah, that's it. Come on, Ramona, come on. But she's pretty aware of what's going on in the backyard. Come on. You know, accidents happen. I'm really careful of everything I do and everywhere I go because I just feel it's important to me.
2: After leaving Keith, the health food business they were running collapsed. It was in her name, so she was saddled with the debt. This is when her legal troubles began. Tony filed for bankruptcy in 1999. Keith and Nancy Salzman intervened in her claim. And it took six years to settle. Years later, Tony was accused of breaking into the Nexium computer system. Nexium sued her. Then the police laid criminal charges. It took two and a half years to settle these cases.
4: And when you don't care really about the outcome, but you just care about Using the system as a stalking device, you don't care. When money isn't an issue and the outcome is an issue, it's a weapon. And that's what they do. They use the legal system as a weapon.
2: Tony became one of the first people to speak to the media about Keith and Nexium.
4: I have not filed a complaint against Nexium or Keith or Brofmans or anyone for the years of, of continuous assault. I just keep waiting for it to stop.
2: Your life has been on
4: hold. I call it I'm waiting. I'm not I'm like I'm a waiter. I'm waiting, yeah. And my life is on hold.
2: As we chat, Tony fiddles with a silver bracelet on her wrist. You see my bracelet? It's engraved with two words.
4: It says orange jumpsuit.
2: Orange jumpsuit.
4: The thing that, that takes my fear away is I see Keith in an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> so... Orange Jumpsuit has become a little bit of a motto. I want to see him held accountable in the system that he has used to abuse many people for
2: years. Sarah says when she was in Nexium, she knew all about Tony, even though they had never met.
3: They say there was a woman that was in the company and she was a suppressive. And
2: a suppressive in Nexium, is someone who behaves unethically, lies, steals, and cheats to get what they want. There's a Nexium course all about the danger of suppressives. Sarah says Tony was often used as the example.
3: He had to write those modules about suppressive behavior because of Tony. She spends all her life force trying to take down Nexium, isn't that terrible? Now we now we've to educate ourselves as to what suppressive people look like so that we can we don't get fooled again.
2: Sarah feared if she left, the course would become about her. Leaving Nexium would mean that she would become entirely cut off from people inside the group. Across the country from Tony Natale, I follow Susan Dones up a rickety ladder into her attic. She's got her own battle scars. It sounds rickety,
5: but it's okay. Yeah, so here they are, right here. Um, four banker boxes full.
2: Susan wants to show me the banker's boxes full of documents from her fight with Nexium. This one says legal docs. Yeah. This is- Susan's bungalow is in Puyallup, a middle-class neighborhood in Washington right state, just south of Tacoma. She works as a massage therapist, though her no-bullshit personality fits more with her career in the Navy, where she was enlisted for a decade.
5: Oh, these are exhibits from the case. you
2: have to hang on to all these banker boxes?
5: Well, we don't have
2: to. Susan took the very first 16-day workshop Nexium ever offered back in 2000. How was the mission expressed to you?
5: Well, it was, you know, helping humans to be more um, integrated within themselves so that they could be better human beings. You know, and then the more better people are on the planet, then the better world we could have, kind of thing.
2: She opened a Nexium center in Tacoma with her partner Kim. It was the first center outside Albany. I
5: wanted to create a wellness center that not only worked on the body, but worked on the mind and the spirit.
2: Susan was actually the woman who ran Sarah's first five-day workshop. In some ways, Susan's story is similar to Sarah's. Like Sarah, her center was thousands of kilometers from Nexium headquarters.
5: I mean, I had to go back and forth to Albany every month for meetings.
2: Like Sarah, she believed in the ESP curriculum.
5: I thought the way they packaged it was excellent.
2: And also like Sarah, she never had any kind of sexual relationship with Keith.
5: I found him creepy.
2: But unlike Sarah, Susan was never able to make any money through Nexium.
5: We lived pretty meager lives. I mean, most of our money was spent on our center or flying back and forth to Albany or it was, you know, taking courses or putting money into our center. And if I I think if I hadn't been So far in debt, I would have walked away a lot earlier. Even though I had a strong foundation of myself, I was always in a constant state
2: of fear. Nine years in, Susan became disillusioned with the company. She was frustrated. She thought the business model was broken and that there was no way for her to climb out of debt and make a living. So she called her friend, Barbara Boucher.
5: And I said, I've had it. I'm just going to close my center down.
2: Barbara was a Nexium executive. She had been Keith's girlfriend for eight years, his so-called Dagny, who ended up in his harem. Susan says Barbara was also fed up with Keith.
5: That was the first time she ever told me, although I had suspected that she had had a sexual relationship with Keith for years. And she told me the whole setup of how he pretended like he was her boyfriend. And then he, when she found out he wasn't, her boyfriend, that he was sleeping with multiple women, then they would send in what I call the wolf pack. You know, all these women that sleep with Keith to work with her on her issues, and then they would bring in Nancy to EM her.
2: So Susan got together with Barbara. Barbara says, in fact, there was widespread dissatisfaction inside Nexium. She wanted to bring together a group of people to try and fix it.
6: There were eight that came forward the Nexium Nine. I made the ninth.
2: They became known as the Nexium Nine.
6: The Nexium Nine came together at my home. I mean, in my nine years of being there, I never observed anybody sit Keith down and hold him accountable, ever. Let alone a group of people. You just didn't do that.
2: There were a lot of secrets in Nexium. People operated in silos, so right off the bat, it was rare for members to come together like this and exchange notes. Their main complaints. Was that the company wasn't functioning professionally. It was disorganized and there was favoritism. Oh, and Keith was sleeping with most of the executive board and many of his students. Keith agreed to a three-day meeting to hear them out. When you're about to leave, the nine women decide to come together and yeah. present Keith with a series of issues they have with the way the yes. company's being run. Yeah. Tell me about that.
6: Here's the other thing you need to understand. Did other people confront the leadership Has anybody told you they confronted? No. Because they didn't. Just me. (laughs) Anybody that knows me knows that I'm a tough girl, I'm assertive, I'm a dog on a bone, and I have a strong will. And if I believe in something, I will stand up for it and I will fight. And I'm not afraid of confrontation.
7: The process that you are doing You have accused, at times, people of ganging up collaborative, (laughs) ganging up on you. Um, It is yet what you sort of manifest here.
2: This is from the third day of that meeting. The Nexium 9 videotaped it all, and every night they would gather at Barbara's house to review it. They knew Keith could be convincing, and they wanted to be prepared. It was also, at times, difficult to figure out what the hell he was talking about.
7: I don't care to be right or wrong, integrated or integrated, Whether you think I am or not, provide proof, yes, provide proof, no. It's right with respect to conduct. Blame destroys, lack of blame.
6: His face was beat red. His Veins were popping out of his neck. He was sweating. He had bags under his eyes. He was nervous. He was tense. He was, like, kept holding, like, his pulse, like he was trying to calm his pulse down. He was not articulate. He was losing track of what he was saying. He wasn't making sense. It was, like, scattered garbage. You know what I'm saying? Non-sequiturs. And because he wasn't used to being on a hot seat.
2: Seven minutes of this meeting made its way online. If Keith was trying to build a corporate culture where no one would question him, Barbara seems to be exactly the wrong person to have on board.
6: But well, what I'm trying to say, though, Keith, is, is that we believe that there are certain problems, the pink or white elephants, whatever we want to call them in the mm-hmm. room, and That's yet right. we as a company don't ever address those elephants.
7: And I don't necessarily agree with you, but maybe not address it the way... You think it should be addressed. That
6: the effects are. But you don't have our company ex- is falling apart. You don't
7: have the experience of leadership. Okay. You don't have the experience of preserving people's lives with what you say. And the truth of the matter is, if well, in if a it takes me,
6: yes, I do. No, you don't, because the only company before this was Consumers Byline, and that, in my understanding, fell apart. Within a few
4: years,
2: or was um, this part of the meeting? Sounds like a calm exchange, or
4: whatever it was.
7: That's
2: not well. In Nexium, it's a sign of weakness to show emotion when you're discussing an issue. But Barbara says, "Don't be fooled. Everyone knew the stakes were high."
7: Here's the thing. I've been shot at because of my beliefs. Right. I've had to make choices. Should I have bodyguards? Should I have them armed or not? Right. Um. I've had people killed because of my beliefs, and because of their beliefs, and because of things that I've said, and I'm mindful of that, and I'm leading an organization that's doing something very good.
2: I've had people killed because of my beliefs. There's been a lot of discussion about what Keith meant by this. Was it a threat, or was it a confession? Or perhaps Keith is trying to say, people in the organization have been killed because of what they stand for. That's what Keith's lawyers argued when the tape came up in court. Susan found it very disconcerting.
5: The hair on the back of my head stood up. You know, when people talk about that, that kind of, I got scared. And um, I'm like, oh my God, he's just admitted to having people killed.
2: Whatever it meant, Susan says it did not bring the parties closer to a reconciliation.
5: I just said, I'm done, you know, and I just lost it. Like you were in tears? Yeah. I just felt so let down. I mean, I felt let down by them. I felt let down by myself. And um, that I just, I saw so many red flags, but I just didn't stand up for myself sooner, you know. But it was one of those moments where you just open yourself up and you just mourn.
2: Because you'd put so much into it.
5: It was kind of like a death for me. I guess it's like when you find out somebody that you really, really, really love
6: dies.
2: Barbara was on the same page.
6: All nine of us got it. We got it. And it was in that moment when we finally got it, we all decided we were going to resign.
2: The Nexium 9 all signed a letter of resignation. It included a breakdown of money they believed they were owed. And it said if they didn't get it, they were going to the press.
3: They didn't give them their money and, you know, shun them and blacklist them and all that stuff that happened after that, right?
2: After the Nexium 9 left, the amount of negative publicity about Nexium exploded. The New York Post, Vanity Fair, even McLean's magazine started writing about this strange organization. And someone leaked the I've Had People Killed Because of My Beliefs video. You know, there's a bunch of options for organizations when they face a PR crisis they could hire a PR company, they could do media interviews. That's not the Nexium approach. When Sarah was figuring out how to get out of Nexium, She thought about the very particular way the Nexium 9 was dealt with. It started with internal damage control right after they left. And it turns out, when the going gets tough in Nexium, the leadership screens the Oscar nominated film, The Contender.
1: Understand those of you who work to bring Lane Hansen down that she asked to have her name withdrawn from consideration.
3: I'm sure you've heard it's a great movie.
2: It's so weird that, like, so you're coming to have this meeting and then you all just watch a movie for two hours?
8: Principles only mean something if you stick by them when they're inconvenient.
6: If I ever did answer the
8: questions, even to exonerate myself, that would mean that it was okay for them to have been asked in the first place.
2: The Contender is about a politician who, out of principle, refuses to address false rumors about her personal life spread by her political opponents.
3: It's like the movie that they play every time they don't want to speak openly about something because it's like more honorable to like not speak about the thing and then get in bed with the people who are accusing you of something dishonorable.
2: So in this case, Keith has cast himself as the principled politician, and Barbara and Susan are the opponents spreading nasty rumors about him. Sarah tells me... She bought this idea that these rumors weren't even worth addressing. She was told Susan was difficult and Barbara was crazy. They were suppressives trying to harm the company.
3: <laughs> it basically negates any responsibility they have in owning or refuting these charges. And so we were ba- it was basically silencing us. A group
7: of people on the executive board, and essentially the letter
2: says, we are the from the community. That's Keith convened an emergency meeting in Clifton Park. One of the coaches at the meeting recorded it. The audio quality is not great. Keith seems to be asking the group what their next move should be.
7: Just imagine being in a life struggle with someone. You're wrestling and back and forth, back and forth. Keith he says, forth.
2: just imagine being in a life struggle with someone. You're wrestling back and forth. And your opponent's on the ground. You kill yourself. Do you kill your opponent, he asks, or do you let him up again?
7: Oh, or if you hesitate, they're going to stab
2: you. Or if you hesitate, they're going to stab you. Do you hesitate? Do you
7: hesitate?
2: It appears the decision was to not hesitate. Now, if Nexium was just a community of a few hundred personal growth diehards who excommunicated people every once in a while, that would be one story. But for a small group, they had access to lots of money to go after people like Susan and Barbara in the courts. In no small part because of the Bronfman sisters, Sara and Claire. The Bronfmans are very, very wealthy. The kind of wealthy that lets them own a big chunk of an island in Fiji and a private jet to get there. According to federal prosecutors in Keith Raniere's case, Claire Bronfman has paid for numerous lawyers to build suits against Nexium critics. Sarah Edmondson was worried she could be next.
3: I mean, every time I saw Claire, she would usually have some sort of, like, it was, this was always the vibe. It was like, we're, we're, we're going to win. It, the, we're having good news soon. Everything's about to change. As if there was this war against people who were trying to take us down. And we were always just on the verge of Major vindication with these people.
2: I've heard from several former members of Nexium that they were afraid of the way Claire went after adversaries. It's something the FBI has investigated as well. The FBI says Claire maintained a list of critics and their supposed crimes against Keith. They say she orchestrated abusive litigation meant to intimidate and attack perceived enemies and critics of Ranieri. We've tried to ask Claire Bronfman and her lawyers about this directly. But we've not heard back. In a statement, her lawyer says the government is overreaching in its case.
6: I lost my best friend. lost my sister.
7: A Métis woman is strangled at her front door in the spring of 2002.
8: It was a tough one right from the get-go.
7: And there's a single suspect
8: and i said why is this
1: man still walking free he was just a con man and a manipulator
7: i'm david ritten and this is the next call the case of terry doffney available now on the cbc listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts
2: what were the charges against you oh gosh
5: that that i destroyed their business that I tried to extort money from them and that I was teaching their courses afterwards, uh, that I refused to give them their materials back.
2: After nine years in Nexium and trying to run a center in Tacoma, Susan Dones was broke. She filed for bankruptcy. Nexium intervened. And is this part of the bankruptcy filing or is this separate to the bankruptcy?
5: It's called an adversary case where a creditor comes in and files an adversary complaint against you.
2: Susan could not afford to hire a lawyer, so she took the work on herself. She tells me the bankruptcy case became a full-time job for her. At the trial, Susan and her partner Kim were facing off against three high-powered lawyers.
5: Their main attorney's from L.A., you know, a $750 Attorney from LA. It's so funny because they do the intimidation factor. You know, they walk in with a handcart full of banker boxes. And I'm thinking like, what the what could they have in all those banker boxes that they could possibly use against us? You know, it's a two-day trial. And I'm thinking like some of those would have to be empty. <laughs> you yeah, know.
2: Nexium lawyers filed motion after motion. They argued Susan and Kim were on a campaign of hate against the company. That she damaged Nexium by talking to the press and leaking that video of the Nexium Nine meeting. They wanted her to pay
0: damages. Miss Stones, so you may take the witness stand. Miss uh,
2: on the stand because they're representing themselves. Uh, Susan's partner is the one to ask her questions. Kim asks Susan, "Do you believe Nexium will go to any lengths to destroy you?"
5: I believe that they will. I don't think that this is the last legal round before. I left. I defected. And my understanding is is that if you do that and you have information that could possibly substantiate illegal
2: activity, that they'll go to the ends of the earth to destroy you. The audio quality is not great. But you can hear Susan's frustration at this point. After
5: I left, it's like, when I left, I felt so stupid. And so when I left, it was like, I wanted to figure that out. Like, how could this have happened to me? And so I started doing a lot, a lot of research. I I believe I was lied
2: to. And then Susan says, I believe I was lied to when I was in Nexium. I just believed them when they said, oh, this person is a thief, this person is this, this person is that. And they would make all kinds of allegations and then lose the case. In his closing arguments, Bob Crockett, one of the Nexium lawyers, provided a different view.
0: They blame Keith Raniere and Nixon for their income problems. They claim Keith Raniere and Nixon for their credit card issues. These are capable women. One with a master's degree in psychology, a former Navy veteran. I mean, these are capable women who have the ability to control their own destinies. And instead, they, they want to act in a They've gone from being caring, loving, nice people to being rather mean spirited, and and they make allegations that Nexium uh, uses litigation to crush people and dissidents. That's untrue. Nexium doesn't bring actions to crush dissidents. It just doesn't happen. I you know I just want to stick up for my client today, and that is. It's not an evil, manipulative organization. They make money. It's not a cult. It just makes money. It's got a, it's got a successful leader at its helm, uh, who's, who's a, who's a, um, a capable man. It's now time for her to honor her agreements. Thank you, all. Thank you. All right. Uh, thank you, Council, and
2: Ms. The After eleven months. And almost 300 filings. The judge dismissed most of Nexium's complaints. He raked Nexium over the coals, saying the litigation tactics were disproportionate and lacking in merit. He called Nexium's treatment of Susan's partner, Kim, deplorable. This decision echoes wording in Tony Natale's six year bankruptcy case, where the judge wrote that this matter smacks of a jilted fellow's attempt at revenge or retaliation. And then, when it comes to cautionary tales, there's what happened to Barbara Boucher.
6: I have law firms that have said to me they have never in their entire history of the law ever seen a more egregious, malicious lawsuit attack against an individual in their entire lifetimes.
2: I meet Barbara in her hotel room in Manhattan. She sits proud and upright in a blue velvet chair, and looks a bit like a queen on her throne. Barbara was the highest ranking defector when she left Nexium. She was Keith's girlfriend. She had been on the executive board, so she knew a lot about the company.
6: Within 18 hours of my quitting, the legal stalking of me began. 18 hours later, knock on my door, and they served me with legal documents threatening civil and criminal action, accusing me of extortion and coercion and blackmail. And that they reported me to the authorities, and that they were going to take legal action against me. And uh, my whole world came crashing down around me.
2: Between the Bronfmans and Nexium, Barbara had seven lawsuits filed against her. Just like in Susan's case, Nexium pointed to Barbara speaking out. They accused her of being involved in a malicious, grassroots effort to destroy the company by going to local, national, and international media.
6: Then they also said that I misappropriated their money and that they suspected that I might have stolen their money. I think it's safe to say that nobody has been sued more than me, victimized more than me, paid more than me, had their reputation permanently destroyed, their life savings conned out of them.
2: Barbara won't tell me where she lives. She's worked hard to conceal her whereabouts because she's still afraid of Nexium coming after her. She's got a mailing address in one state and a car registered in another, and presumably neither of those is the state where she actually lives. I've lived
6: for years with nightly panic attacks, waking up two, three times a night in a complete state of fright and fear, anxiety, trauma, my cortisol levels, my nervous system was shot, you know, becoming a post-traumatic stress off the Richter scale, feeling afraid for my life.
2: It's more than the legal battles that keeps Barbara up at night. She says she learned that Keith might have had other plans to go after her.
3: I don't have a lot of time, so I yes. want to just to Keith. Yes. We can catch up on other things. Can okay, we get this um, right away?
2: In 2014, Kristen Keefe, one of the original so called spiritual wives, defected from Nexium. She's the mother of Keefe's son, Galen. Kristen had been in charge of Nexium's legal battles with Tony, Susan, and Barbara. When she left, Kristen went into hiding and she called Barbara. Barbara recorded one of their conversations. He's asking
3: us. To sacrifice our lives doing this work we hate, yep. going after his ex girlfriends, and what the fuck is
4: he doing? He's doing
2: nothing. Some of the stories Kristen told her are so bizarre they make your head spin. She said Claire Bronfman hired a company to dig up dirt on adversaries, including journalists and federal judges. She says Keith worked closely with Claire, and the two of them lied in their court filings
7: the allegations, the fraudulent allegations made in the civil campaign, complaint, which I know for certain were fraudulent,
3: because I saw that at the yeah.
2: And then there's this.
3: Okay, so now okay. I, have,
2: I have a final thing that okay.
6: has to do with the plot, the Mexican plot. The Mexican plot. Um, <laughs> I remember Tony calling me, you know, we didn't talk a lot, but once in a while, every three or four months, we'd have a little chat. I remember this one time calling saying you getting phone calls from this Mexican journalist and I said we well, yeah, had gotten some but I hadn't actually connected with the person she goes, well she wants me to come down to me I mean and she's like I'm not fucking going to Mexico you know what are they crazy so here's
3: here's the thing you and Tony and Pasa, uh, Susan was probably getting calls too if you recall to go down to Mexico for an anti-cult conference correct
2: um Do you remember
3: this? Yeah, yeah. That an anti-cult conference. They brought a judge in Mexico to issue an indictment against you and Tony and Susan and Kim. You were going to be lured
6: into Mexico and when you got into Mexico, they were going to put you in fucking prison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the email... Were they really? Were, how, how, how how serious I were they? They, they were, they were serious right? as a fucking heart attack. I saw the judge's decision. He
3: helped write it. He worked on this for years. Fucking years. This was like a three plus year plot in the Wow.
6: Wow.
2: I've heard a lot of outlandish stories about this group. And sometimes it's hard to know which ones are true. But Barbara tells me that Nexium did file a criminal charge against her in Mexico for extortion. And that just this summer, U.S. border guards detained her at the airport because of it. I have a ton of questions for Kristen about what she told Barbara on that phone call. But she's in hiding. I don't know where she is. I asked someone who does if she'd speak with us. And she said no. One of Keith's lawyers told me this story of a Mexico plot is a red herring. For Sarah she had heard these stories as rumors or fragments, but she was certain that leaving could be very dangerous how could she avoid this fate?
8: they tend to target only people who one way or another have uh, presented themselves to Nexium as an enemy or Nexium has reason to think that they will say unkind things about nexium they they won't sit there and just pick someone out of the blue to sue but uh, if one way or another you cross them or antagonize them, and they, they are pretty thin-skinned, uh, you are likely to find yourself sued.
2: This is Peter Skolnick.
8: I'm an attorney in New York and New Jersey with uh, quite a bit of experience litigating against cults.
2: And he offered legal advice to Sarah.
8: If Nexium were to draw up a, a Nixon-like enemies list, so I was pretty high on it. I have, to this day, worn that as something of a badge of honor. They don't like me much.
2: If someone came to you from Nexium and said, "I want to leave, and I don't, I don't want to have happen to me what happened to Susan or Tony or Barbara," what would it, what would be your advice to them? What would you say to them?
8: If they left and chose not to simply fade into the woodwork and completely keep their mouths shut, uh, it was very likely that uh, the kind of thing that had happened to these women would happen to them, and uh, they should at least you know, prepare themselves mentally and emotionally for that, because given the way Nexium deals with escapees, there's nothing you can really do to protect yourself against them coming after you other than giving them no reason to come after you.
2: Sarah wasn't just in Nexium. She had to get out of DOS. Unlike Susan, Barbara and Tony, she had handed over collateral. She wasn't even sure how Nippy would respond when he found out about DOS and the branding. So so now the world's crumbled. Nippy still doesn't even know.
3: No, Nippy doesn't know.
2: Sitting in Sarah and Nippy's condo in Vancouver by the water, as their son plays with blocks on the coffee table, I do wonder, how do you keep such a secret from your spouse? And how would that spouse feel when they found out, I think.
3: Well, this is the first time I actually showed you. Yeah. I showed you the brand because yeah. it was in at your parents' place, right? Yeah, I and
1: a punch a lot of things at that time.
3: Yeah, he was really angry, and I was just, I was a wreck. I mean, keep in mind that this had been unraveling for a couple of weeks even before I told Nip, and um, I hadn't been sleeping. I was just I a mean, basket case. I mean,
1: you know, you
2: it also occurs to me that Sarah is lucky in a strange way that Nippy is deep into Nexium. He understands what convinced her to keep it secret from him: the drills, the collateral, the penance, are all things familiar to people in
1: Nexium. Plus, it was also like we're sleeping in different beds because we can't sleep at night. You know.
3: I'm also having drills SOP and uh, DOS drills that wake me up every night. Wake me
1: up, so I'm kind of like not even just
3: to respond. I've got spend sometimes an hour dealing with the thing.
1: And I just started. I started boiling. I was like, I wanted heads. I was like, oh, I felt dirty. It just felt gross to me, and I was like, I gotta get out of this right now. I just felt sick. My wife got branded, and I'm, this, all bets are off for me. So I'm like, I'm getting out.
2: It's June, 2017. Sarah and Nippy are supposed to be in Albany for a big Nexium conference.
1: And we're like, okay, what do we do? How do we get out of this? This is when I'm scared. You know, I'm scared at this point, because I know, like, getting out's not going to be easy. We're going to have to deal with the Bronfman legality things if this thing, worst-case scenario. I know that playbook. I've seen it in action. And I know it's bullshit. So leaving was an easy decision. It was just how. Do I want to cowboy up, go up there with a baseball bat and take it to his head?
2: And so what was, it, what was the plan that you guys came up with?
3: The plan was that we were going to go to Albany anyway, and... You know, we had already had our tickets and everything, and my grandfather had just been admitted to hospital. And, when, and whenever anyone saw me, they were like, you look awful, what's going on? I'm like, right, my grandfather's sick. So my grandfather goes to the hospital with stomach cancer. I realize i have been in a cult for 12 years. It was like, I was, I was just, that was it was a wreck. And we said, yeah, we decided to do business as usual.
2: They have to pretend everything is normal. But they do their best to come up with a plan. They want to leave Nexium as soon as possible without stirring the pot. To do what Peter Skolnick suggests and go quietly to avoid any backlash. They head to the apartment they were renting for their visits to Albany, while the Nexium leaders are gathered for their big annual summit nearby.
3: And then I went back to the house and packed up the house.
2: Sarah and Nippy frantically pack up their place.
3: Packed up like this is the stuff I'm taking with me. This stuff put in New York City. The rest just give away or sell. I you know I told the leasing agent we need to get out early.
2: Nippy drops Sarah and their son at the train station and they head to Toronto.
3: And that 10-hour train ride was like one of the most stressful travel <laughs> travel days of my life.
2: As far as they could tell, no one in Nexium had figured out what was going on that two of their leaders had jumped ship. And Sarah and Nippy had no idea what would happen when they did. It was all very, very stressful. Yeah, I'm just like,
3: my heart's, yeah, well, my hurts. I don't think I've ever been in as much fight or flight.
2: Next time on Escaping Nexium. So, okay, so I want to ask you, Tell me about what's happening right now with the Vancouver police.
3: Claire Claire came to Vancouver and spent three hours with the Vancouver police and basically told them a bunch of stuff that I did. I haven't talked to the police yet in person, so I don't know specifically. I know some of the allegations through my lawyer who spoke to the police, but I haven't heard from
6: the police myself.
2: Escaping Nexium is produced and written by Kathleen Goldhar, Anita Elash, me, Josh Block, and Mika Anderson, who is also our audio producer. Heather Evans is our senior producer, and Arif Narani is the executive producer. Get the series for free wherever you get your podcasts. We're at cbc.ca/slash uncover. If you want to discuss the story with others and get the latest updates, become part of our online community by joining the Uncover Escaping Nexium Facebook group or following us on Twitter at UncoverCBC. Escaping Nexium is part of Uncover from CBC Podcasts. Each season explores a different true crime and justice story with some of the best investigative reporters around. The New Yorker said Uncover Season 3, called The Village, transcends true crime. If you're looking for another series to listen to, I highly recommend you check out Uncover. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: For more CBC Podcasts,
2: go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.